Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. Well, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It is uh, good to be with you guys tonight. And um, my name is Sean, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I love coming to be with you guys on a Thursday night, and I'm looking, I've been looking forward to this uh, all week, and I'm going to uh, be starting, a, I guess it's a three-part series, uh, dealing with the three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and uh, the Father, which they'll be dealt with in that order, and tonight I'm going to begin with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, the, the very concept or idea of the Trinity is a tough one uh, because it's, it's a part of understanding the mystery of God from uh, his infinite mind and existence and being with our finite minds and the concept that God is one being who eternally exists as one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not one that is easy to grasp, but it's foundational to understanding how God uh, created the universe, how God planned the plan of redemption for mankind, how God has unfolded not only eternity past into the present, into eternity future. It, it, the three persons of the Godhead, as we call it, the Trinity, the three persons all have unique roles, not only in our salvation and our coming to a place of being right with God and in Christ, but also in our daily walk. And so we're going to be talking about the Trinity. Now, the, the Trinity has at its basic root the idea that there is one God. Now, uh, our Hindu friends have many gods. Our Jewish and Muslim friends have uh, believe there is one God. They're monotheists as, as we are. Uh, but they would not believe in the three persons. And so uh, Christianity is unique in understanding that the revelation of the Old Testament and the New Testament gives us this clear picture that emerges even as we are saved and then as we walk with Jesus, this clear picture of this unique aspect of who God is. And it, it really helps us understand how we relate to God, how he relates to us, what he's doing in our lives as we understand the three persons of the Trinity. Now, Pastor uh, Dick Thompson, I'm really committing him here, and if he's, he's watching, he's not going to like this, but I'm committing that he's going to explain it even further in the final message when you talk about the Father. Usually at the Father, there's a great discussion opportunity there around the Trinity, but because I'm looking at the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, uh, there's a lot to cover, and so I'm going to leave that to him when he talks about God the Father to go farther than that, other than to say that we believe in one God who eternally exists in three persons. They're equal in essence and being and power, and they take on different roles. What's really beautiful about it is, um, unlike like the Roman uh, myth mythology and the various uh, uh, um, gods that have been true in cultures throughout history, our God's emphasis, even in creation, is not so much a powerful God who overwhelms humanity, but we have a God who says, let us make man in our own image, a God that in himself and in his being of oneness is yet community, a community of joy that overflows even into desiring a relationship with us as human beings that are created in God's image. So the Trinity has this beautiful, beautiful picture from the very start of creation, even into eternity future, and it really even, the, the Trinity really impacts our lives today. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, by the way, if you want a simple, I came across a very simple video. Uh, you, some of you might think it's too simplistic, but it's a simple video on the Trinity. You can go to uh, seanslinks.com slash Trinity, and uh, you'll find that clip there. I, uh, I use seanslinks.com to add different uh, uh, connections for folks when I'm teaching or leading. And so you can go there at a, at a point later and find um, a great simple, I think it's about a five-minute video by Pastor Sam Aubrey of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, who explains, I think in a very concise way and a clear way, the Trinity and looks at it from a number of, of uh, scriptures. But I want to talk about God the Holy Spirit. I think perhaps God the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood of the three persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people think of the Holy Spirit as like the force in Star Wars, that he is just this energy, just this essence. 
He is um, the very word spirit that's used even in the old King James. In old English, it was translated ghost. The concept is he is spirit, but it has its root. Even in the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, it speaks of breath. Even Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, he breathed on them and he said, as I breathe on you, I am sending you the one who is ultimately gonna come upon you, uh, the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has this unique role throughout the course of scriptural history and even into our lives today. You open up to Genesis 1. The Spirit of God is mentioned in Genesis 1-2. He is there at creation when yet it is unformed and he is moving over uh, that which is yet to be formed in God's creation. Throughout the Old Testament, we see characters uh, like uh, David and Saul and others where the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Samson, the great strong man of scripture, the Holy Spirit would come upon them to do mighty works through them and then the Holy Spirit at times would depart from them and he would come upon them and leave them. Then Jesus comes, the embodiment of God, God the Son in human flesh, and as his ministry begins, we read in several of the Gospels this great story of how Jesus wants to identify with John the Baptist's message that indeed Jesus is the Messiah who's been sent by God. And so Jesus is baptized to agree with that message. And at his baptism, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And as that voice comes, a dove descends representing the spirit. And so at the initiation of Jesus' public ministry, we see the voice of the father, we hear the voice of the father in the text, and we see the son uh, beginning this ministry on earth, a public ministry on earth that would end in his death, burial, and resurrection and ultimate ascension. And we see the Holy Spirit descending upon him. Even in Jesus' ministry, he relies on the Spirit of God to empower him. And so we see the Spirit in Jesus' life. And then as Jesus is with his disciples and they're saying, is it time for the end? Is your kingdom coming? Are you making the new creation? Are you gonna set everything right? And uh, the, he's, he's uh, been raised from the dead now for 40 days. And he says, no, it's not yet the time, but you guys do this. You go back into Jerusalem and pray. And that comforter I said, I'm gonna send, I will send to you. And you wait for him to come. 10 days later at a Jewish feast called Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes rushing in and there are tongues of fire above their heads to show that the very presence of God in the Old Testament, the fire and the Holy Holies represented the presence of God. Now the presence of God was coming on the followers of Jesus. And they would then go out with boldness and preach the gospel. 3,000 would be saved on the first day of the church. And we'll see that the Holy Spirit then has a role in the lives of believers as he descended on Pentecost into the life of the church. The church was birthed, and we are a continuation until Jesus returns of what the Holy Spirit is doing, God the Holy Spirit is doing through the church. That just gives you a bit of an overview of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, but I wanna talk now a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and how he relates to your life if you're a follower of Christ, how he relates to my life, even if you're here and you're a bit of a skeptic and you haven't yet crossed that line of faith in Jesus. The scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit is gonna help you to understand the good news of the gospel. And so he even will work in the life of someone who doesn't know the Lord. We'll talk about that. I wanna first talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, our being made right with God. And I'm gonna reference uh, some verses in Philippians chapter three and we're gonna see some different aspects of our salvation and how we come to faith. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says uh, that he was a very religious man. He lists all these successful things. He'd been a Jewish Pharisee. He was of a specific tribe, the youngest tribe of the 12 tribes. Uh, Benjamin, that's a special tribe. He talked about how he never violated the Old Testament law. He was a very religious, he was successful as a Jew, the, one of the most successful Jews of his day. And he says, then I came to know Jesus. And when I came to know Jesus as the Messiah and embraced him as my savior and Lord, things changed and his perspective changed that even his good righteous things that he tried to do to be right with God, he called it manure, trash, dung. It was even a word that was used for the trash heap outside of town where they would put everything that you could think that caused disease or nasty, they put it out there on the trash heap. And he says, now that they know Jesus, even the best things I did to try to match up to God, 
all the things that looked like I was successful in my religiosity, even that, not just my sin, but even my self-righteousness, my good deeds were like manure compared to, says in Philippians 3, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he describes this um, having the righteousness of God put upon him. And here we have one of the first roles of the Holy Spirit in saving us from our sin and our self-righteousness and making us right with God. Paul came to this place, one who had even persecuted Christians in the early church. He came to this place where he put his faith in Christ. He rested his eternal destiny, his relationship with God, all that he was, and the fact that Jesus had died for him, was buried and was raised for him, that Jesus paid for his sins on the cross, was raised in the resurrection to give him new life. And Paul says, now that I've come to that, all the religious stuff, all the good activities, all the self-actualization or self-righteousness, all of that just falls by the wayside. It's like manure compared to the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, it's interesting, the role of the Holy Spirit in our justification is the first aspect of the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. We're made right with God in Christ. We're saved from the penalty of sin. In this condition, we're all born in the trash heap of sin and self-righteousness with our backs to God. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we're all born sinners before a holy and righteous God. And so Paul has a good description even of our self-righteousness, our attempt to do good things to measure up to God outweigh our good and our bad, so maybe God will accept us. That's not how we're made right with God, and, and Paul's acknowledging that in Philippians 3, and he says, now I have this excellent knowledge. I'm right with God. And we come to this place, we're freed from the penalty of sin, separation from God for all eternity, the curse that hovers over us. When Jesus came, he said in John 3, I didn't come to condemn people because they're already condemned. They don't need to know they're sinners. Everybody knows they mess up and hurt people and there's injustices in this world and there's, there's uh, uh, immorality in this world and we participate in those things that don't measure up to the holiness of God. But in Christ, we are justified. That means to be made right with God and we're freed from the penalty of sin. We read in Titus 3, 5, and 7 about the Holy Spirit's part in this. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He says he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When Paul put his faith in Jesus Christ, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I started here too, like Paul. And my own sin and self-righteousness does not make me right with God. When he put his faith in Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, gave him new life, renewed him, cleaned him up from the trash heap of sin and made him right in Jesus. This is where we are justified, freed from the penalty of our sin now and forever. But there's a second phase to our salvation. This is our eternal destiny and relationship with God is settled now and forever. And if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're still there in your own self-righteousness to sin, but God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and to make you right in himself. And if today you put your faith in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who'll pick you up, clean you up, give you new life in Jesus. And uh, you've, maybe you've come with a Christian friend tonight, uh, one of the, the folks you've seen on the platform, or even I'll hang around. If we can talk to you about knowing Jesus, we'd love to share with you how you can know that you're right with God now and forever, not because of anything you've done or we've done for you, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And tonight, the Holy Spirit can give you new life in Jesus, the Son of God. Then we begin this journey, and this journey now of the Christian life is not about whether or not we have a relationship with God, but it's about what that relationship is gonna be like. And now God wants to transform us and make us more like Jesus in our character, in our attitudes, our responses, our relationships, so that the, the reality of Christ can be seen in us in this world. That is our sanctification. The word sanctified means set apart. It means we're set apart from the things of our past, and we're set apart unto God and to the things found in Christ. The Holy Spirit and his role in our sanctification is that we're made more like Christ daily. We're being saved from the power of sin. When I put my faith in Jesus... 
The condemnation of sin is removed. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives me new birth. And now as I walk in him, I am his child now and forever. And now as his child and I walk in this world and the relationships at work, at school, in, in YA, in our homes, wherever we go, at the gym, whatever we're doing, all of our lives were to be a testimony and a light for Christ in how we live in this world. And so we're to be distinct from self-righteousness and sin and be covered more and more in the character of Christ and what people see in and through us. That in this process, as we open God's word, we hang out with God's people, we talk to God in prayer, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to transform and change us. We're saved from the power of sin. Now the Lord, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The scriptures make it clear that we each receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. Any of us in here who know Jesus and have new life in Christ through his spirit, we have the spirit of God, we'll see this in a minute, in our lives and he is now in this process of transforming us and changing us and making us like Christ. And there is great freedom that the Spirit gives us in living our lives full on for Jesus today. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As I spend time in God's word, as I worship with God's family, as I'm worshiping with you tonight, as people speak into my life and my small group, the group that Leslie and I, my wife and I are part of, and as God speaks into our lives, it's the Holy Spirit who is changing me from one glory, one stage of Christ's likeness to another. Now in this Christian walk, by the way, uh, this is three steps forward and sometimes two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, but do you notice the direction I'm heading? Some people think, well, this is going to be this life that's just perfect. I'll never slip up. I'll never mess up. If I do, God gives up on me. No, from this point forward, you were sealed in Christ. And we'll see in a moment, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. He indwells you. But this is where we get to know him. How many of you grew up in some kind of church in your life in some way or congregation of faith? Okay, some of you didn't. I see some of you did. Sometimes when we grow up, around the things of Christianity. We know a lot about God, but we don't know God. There was a, a, a guy in high school and he was a senior and he knew that the school year was the last school year their high school friends would all be together. And he had for a couple years seen this girl Vicky and he just thought she was everything. She was cute, she was sweet. I mean, he just, his knees wobbled when she just even looked in his direction and he just thinks, I've got to ask her out, I've got to ask her out. So he asks her out, takes her on a date. He went to the same place that Les and I went for our first date, the Golden Arches of McDonald's. <laughs> he wanted a Happy Meal. That's why I took Leslie there. They had a very, they had silly putty in the Happy Meals when Les and I went to McDonald's. Now, you're laughing. I hope you're not laughing at me because we dated four and a half years and we've been married 30 years. Three months and 25, 26 days today. So McDonald's works, guys. McDonald's works. Now, my wife would be telling a different story if she were here. She would be saying, don't go to McDonald's first. But Victor decides he's going to take Vicky to McDonald's. They go. They have a great time. He drops her off at her house. She goes in. You know, they're seniors in high school. This is great. It's our senior year. He goes in and she goes into her house. She says to her parents, he might be the one, mom. What do you mean the one? One date? Oh yeah, I think he might be the one. And she, he goes home and, and he says to his parents, I, I think Vicky might be the one to his parents. And they're like, what do you mean the one? One date at McDonald's with Happy Meals and she's the one? I don't know, I just think. And so he decides, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? So he gets this notebook. It's just got pages and pages and pages. And for three months, he goes around, he asks Vicky's best friend, what does she like to wear? And he writes that down. He writes down what her favorite color is and what she likes to do just to, she likes to ride bikes, she hates going on hikes, she'd rather ride a bike. All right, writes that down. He writes down her favorite food, names of her friends, who her family is, what her 
Pat, a pet cat was that died a few years earlier and some stories from her parents and friends and grandparents. He goes all over, spends three months. He never says a word to Vicky in these three months. And one day there's a knock at her door on a Friday night and it's Victor. Now they've graduated from high school and he gets down on one knee and he says, Vicky, will you marry me? Now, would you advise her to say yes? Based on McDonald's, Happy Meals and a notebook full of information about her? No. Now, what if she said, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't think you were going to follow up. It's been months. We've graduated from high school, and I didn't know you had any interest in me anymore. I thought that date was great. I, I thought you might be the one, but give me some time here. And she goes and gets a notebook. She asks his friends and family all about him. She fills the notebook with all this information. She shows up, knocks on his door three months later. They haven't talked since. And she says, yes, I'll marry you. If you were counseling them, would you tell them to get married based on this? They, look, what the, the issue is they know a lot about each other, but they don't know each other. And there are a lot of Christians who know a lot about God, but they don't know God. In this process of getting to know God, of walking with him throughout life, one of the great joys is watching God change your attitude, your perspectives, your words, your thoughts, your relationships, how you respond to things that don't go your way, to the injustices of life and in this world, as your heart is shaped to be like the heart of Christ. But you can't just know about him. You've got to know him. You've got to open his word. You've got to speak to him in prayer. And it's the Holy Spirit who's taking the words of God's word and transforming your heart and your life through God's word. It's the Holy Spirit who takes those prayers and from your heart and lifts them to the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who changes and transforms us as we're freed more and more from the power of sin as we get to know God. Don't just know about him, know him. That's a part of the sanctification process. And it's the Holy Spirit who is transforming us into that image from one degree of glory to another. And then uh, the Holy Spirit in our glorification. I just realized that the, I had that verse in, in a different version there, but I like that version because it said from uh, one degree of glory to another from the English Standard Version. The third part of our, this is when we come to Jesus as Savior after understanding our sinfulness and our self-righteousness won't ma measure up. Sanctification, by the way, is this journey. And then there is a third phase to our salvation, not just our justification and our sanctification where we become more like Jesus as we get to know Jesus daily. But then one day, I know it seems like a long way for you. It's getting closer for me. Um, one day, either we're gonna be with Jesus when he returns or we're gonna be with Jesus when we step out of this life into the next. And the scriptures say that when we see him, We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And so we won't be God. We won't have all the powers of his deity, his all-knowing, everywhere present, all-powerful. But in terms of his character and who he is in his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his grace, his mercy, and his love, we'll be fully like him. And, and this journey of, of becoming like Christ is not so we can attain this. The Apostle Paul actually says in Philippians 3, we can't attain that on our own. It's already attained for us because we have been made right with Jesus. But what we are a part of is this sanctification process set apart from our sin and self-righteousness. The Spirit of God is molding us and shaping us and making us more like Jesus. And then one day, we will step into his presence and he will make us, the Holy Spirit will finalize our salvation and our ultimate redemption when we're not only freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the very presence of sin and we're with Jesus forever. This is our glorification, it's called. And we take on a glorified body like his resurrected body. But it, we're made like Christ forever in the Holy Spirit's role in our glorification. We're made like Christ forever. We're saved from the presence of sin. Ephesians 1.13, I love this verse because it tells us of an important role of the Holy Spirit from here to there. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth of the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives them new life. 
but he doesn't come and go like he did in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he comes and he stays. He's actually the guarantee that no matter what happens to us in life, good, bad, or ugly, that one day he is the guarantee that we're going to be in the presence of Jesus forever. So he's not only a part of our salvation and being made right with God, freed from the penalty of sin. He's not only a part of our walk with God, being made like Christ, being freed from the power of sin, but ultimately, he's a part of our life all the way to the moment we're with Jesus and freed from the very presence of sin forever. And what God wants us to do in this sanctification journey and in the life, and for some people, by the way, I, I remember a man named Paul that I led to Christ uh, one afternoon at two in the afternoon. His family had been praying for him for, for years. All those in his family, his wife, his children, his grandchildren knew Jesus and loved Jesus, but he pushed Jesus out of his life, didn't want anything to do with God. And late in life, at about 80 years of age, I don't know why, but he, the family said, he thinks you're the only pastor he'll talk to. He, didn't even, he never attended our church. Most of his family didn't. We'd met at some occasions. And he wanted me to come. And he said, tell me about Jesus again. And he prayed and he was picked up out of the trash heap of sin and self-righteousness and made right in Jesus, given new life at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. And at 3.30, he took his last breath. So the gap from the time he received Jesus to the time he was with Jesus was about like this. I don't know what the gap is gonna be in your life, but what God wants us to do and the Spirit is doing through us is unleashing his kingdom and his values here and now. We don't just come to Jesus and twiddle our thumbs until one day we live with him forever. Actually, this is the, he leaves us here so that we will live in love like Jesus, show kindness and mercy to people around us, welcome others into the family of God, be light and bring hope and joy into the lives of others, be people of peace and compassion, and as, as that happens, people who are in the trash heap of sin and self-righteousness go, wait a minute, what she has, I think I need. What he has is pretty special. So the goal of his saving us is not just to put us into his presence, but to have our presence make a difference here as the Spirit of God uses our lives to shine for Jesus. Now let me ask you, where are you in this? Very few of you look like you're here to me. You're not in heaven, uh, I don't think Jesus has returned and started the new creation yet. So no one in this room is here, but are you still here where you need new life in Christ with well, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit wants to give you new life and the Son of God, God the Son, who died for you, was buried and was raised for you. Put your faith in Jesus tonight. God will pick you up, give you new life in Christ. Where are you in this journey? It's interesting if you really read Philippians 3 that I've been referencing, the Apostle Paul says maturity is not how far you've gone or where you are. It's if you're pursuing things in that direction. It's not a place you arrive that makes you a mature Christian. I've met very mature Christians who've only known the Lord for a day, but their passion and desire is to know God and be, become like Jesus. I've known Christians who've been followers of Christ for 30 years, and they're very immature because they got so far in their Christian life, they started looking around going, I'm better than that guy. I don't use the language she uses. Man, he's got a problem with anger. I'm better than that. I'm pretty mature. I'm going to stop. Paul says, no, it's this daily drive to know Jesus and to become like Jesus so Jesus can shine through our lives. Where are you? Are, are you kind of gotten to the point you think, I'm pretty good compared to my friends, people my age, people in my classes, people where I work? Spiritual maturity is not a place you arrive. It's a direction you're heading, seeking to be like Jesus and let the Spirit of God mold you and shape you and make you more like Jesus daily. The role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, when we initially receive him, when we're with him, and as he's transforming us, freeing us from the power of sin, the second part that I want to share with you about the Holy Spirit is the role of the Holy Spirit then in our daily lives in this sanctification process of becoming more like Jesus and set apart unto him. The Holy Spirit as a helper and comforter, first of all. Jesus said this to his disciples. When he told them, hey, I'm going to be leaving you, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter, a helper, 
It's actually the word paraclete, not parakeet. He didn't send us a parakeet. He sent us a paraclete, which means the one who comes alongside you for the journey. When you receive Jesus, if you've received Christ as your Savior, whether you were a child or it was three weeks ago, you were a teenager, you're a young adult, whatever stage of life, the Holy Spirit came into you not just to be this guarantee of your eternal destination, but to walk with you through some of the tough times. There are times when I can't explain why I've got a nudging in this direction in a decision. I think when I get to heaven, the Holy Spirit is gonna say, that was me. <laughs> I was telling you to make that choice. But that only happens, you can only sense the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit when you are spending time in God's word, with God's people, in prayer, allowing God to cultivate your heart, your mind, to be more like Jesus. We read what Jesus said in John 14, 16 through 17, and I, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you uh, and be with you forever. This is before his crucifixion. The night before his crucifixion, he's just said, I'm going. Someday I'll come back for you. In the meantime, they all panic. Wait, we got into this because of you. You're leaving us. What's going on here? The next day, next day they'd see him on the cross. But he says, I don't want you to worry. The Father and I are sending to you the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him because they're still trapped in the darkness of their sin and self-righteousness. The blinders are still on. Um, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You're gonna to get to know him because he's gonna be with you and in you. He's there in the journey with you. When I go through stressful times as a leader, when I've gone through difficult days as a parent, as a coworker with others, when I'm dealing with stuff that's difficult and family members with cancer or people in my family making decisions that grieve me because it doesn't align with what God would have for their lives, what, what happens for me is I find the Holy Spirit whispering sweet comfort to my heart. He's there to be a helper and a comforter. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is a convictor and a teacher. In John 16, again, Jesus in the upper room is describing further this one he's gonna be sending, the one who came on Pentecost, came as that flame of fire to show the presence of God. We don't need a temple anymore because we're the temple. The Holy of Holies in the Old Testament inside the temple was the place where the intimate express presence of God dwelt. Well, guess what? We now are the Holy of Holies. The Holy Spirit, the intimate express presence of God is with us wherever we go. And he's there to convict and teach us Jesus said, when he comes, he will prove the, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's gonna come and help you understand what sin looks like, what injustice looks like, what immorality looks like, what unholiness looks like, what, what a lack of compassion looks like from God's view. And then we read in chapter 14, 26, again, it's still in the upper room, before he's crucified, Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that one who's gonna come alongside you, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's gonna point you back to me and to my words. He is a teacher and a convictor of sin. He not only convicts us of what's wrong, he convinces us of what's right. We do wrong, there's this sense of guilt that comes. That can be the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? I didn't want that attitude for you as a believer. This is an area you need to work on. That relationship isn't appropriate for a follower of Jesus. And it's not just some guilt trip that's been placed upon you by religious thinking. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you to help you understand this isn't best for you. But he's also there that when you are living and making decisions in your relationships with your words and your attitude in how you live and live like Jesus, when you step out and you do something that lines up with what God has for you as his child, he's gonna give you peace and joy because he's not only gonna convict you of sin, he's gonna convince you and say, yeah, keep doing that. Keep on doing that. That's the Holy Spirit's role in our lives in our daily walk with God. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit as an empowerer as an empower, Jesus, when those disciples said, uh, you're leaving us? Uh, 40 days after when he told them the Holy Spirit was gonna come, and they're asking him, is it time for the end? Is your kingdom coming? Are you gonna make everything right now? He said, not yet. But he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
which would happen 10 days later on Pentecost, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, my witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He actually tells them for 10 days, do nothing, because you can't do anything. You don't have the empowerer, God the Holy Spirit yet. And then the Holy Spirit came on them. And then there's a pattern as people come to Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them. Sometimes it's through outward manifestations of, of things like healing and miracles. And often God is doing that to confirm to others signs that indeed God is at work. But often his empowering is, a, is an internal transformation that's taking place to give us courage in places we didn't have courage before. He, he gives us gifts to serve, as 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 talk about. It's the Spirit of God who gives us abilities to serve in using our spiritual gifts, our natural abilities, and our experiences to bless the body of Christ, to reach others for Jesus. He is the empower. You know, um, this week I, I, I spoke last night in the New, Test, uh, New Testament overview course I'm teaching I messed up, I was gone one week and I was supposed to give Brian Howard five books to teach and then I teach five books of the New Testament last night in this quick overview of the New Testament in 10 weeks. I messed up and I gave him three books. I always make it lighter on him. I don't know why I don't make it harder on him. But I, I gave him three books and that left me with seven books last night. So in the last few days, I wrote 16 pages of notes for that class. Then I'm speaking to you and then I'm teaching this weekend and then people's lives seem to get in the way at times in just regular life, in my life. And, but there are times when I'm so embarrassed that I'm not prepared to teach or preach or to lead. And I think, oh man, I really wanted to be, I was trying to be, I just, something happened, somebody had a crisis in their life, something went on in the church and needed my attention as, as a shepherd. And you know, those times are some of the sweetest times because the Spirit of God meets me and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, a bunch of stuff came together and I really didn't have all the time I needed to properly prepare and be ready and pray through and study and think and dream and sense what God would have me to give those I'm talking to. But all of a sudden I realized when I sit down, where did that come from? Now that doesn't mean though, I caution you, don't walk into something where you've committed to serve and do something and you were supposed to prepare in some way. Don't show up unprepared. Don't say, I'll just wing this. The spirit will do something through me. Because sometimes then he says, okay, try that approach. Don't rely on me before you get there and see what happens. It's a both and, not an either or. But I'll tell you, in some of my weakest moments, in the moments I just don't have an answer for the person crying, talking to me in the lobby or in my office or in the hallway over a crisis in their lives, the loss of a child, the death of a spouse, uh, the, the loss of a job that they, was their dream job and, and we're talking and I don't have words, stuff comes out and, 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 and I don't know where it comes from. But I know the Holy Spirit's gonna say, yeah, yeah. One day he's gonna say, Sean, those words that day in the lobby when that woman was crying, you didn't know what to say and all of a sudden you said a sentence and later she sent you a note thanking you for that exact sentence. That was my sentence. I empowered you in that moment. I empowered you in that moment. He's the empowerer. He gives us the power to take what is the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit as a transformer. By the way, I did prepare for today. If I left you with the impression I'm not prepared and I'm winging it, I'm not winging it. I've prayed and I've relied on the Spirit in preparation and hopefully the Spirit of God is using me and communicating. But the Holy Spirit is the transformer. We talked about that a lot when I talked about the sanctification, the daily walk with Jesus. He's the one who transforms us into the image of Christ from one stage of looking like Jesus to the next stage. A lot of people will say to me, oh, I could tell the spirit of God was present in him because he had his hands way high in worship. And I'll say, well, there's nowhere in scripture it says that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. <laughs> or I could tell that when, when that person was preaching, and I used to have, a, when I was in college, there was a friend who already envisioned himself as this perfect preacher and he would go to these little churches and, and preach and they would put posters in our dormitory of him with his Bible. I have my Bible on my iPad, but he'd have an open Bible and he'd have his, his, his glasses like this and, and below him would be, come here, preacher so-and-so. Uh, you can see he has the spirit. This is the spirit? 
We have all kinds of ways we think that the Spirit shows up and is evidenced in our life to others, but look what the Scriptures say is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right after talking about the works of the flesh, the selfishness of our lives, the things we do just to please ourselves, the, the pride, the greed, the lust that often drives our lives. How do you know that what's showing up in your life is actually from God the Holy Spirit as a follower of Christ as you're being transformed? Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, as a guy, I hate to say it, now in my late 50s, I, have, I just wish I could apologize for the generation in which you're growing up. The division in our country, the division in churches, and people are saying the louder you scream, on the right and the left, the louder you scream about things, the more proof you are godly. Baloney. Now, we should stand for injustices and immorality. We, we should have convictions and compassion. We should live in grace and truth. But notice when the Holy Spirit of God has control of you, people are gonna say, there's a loving person. There's a patient person. And I think even more right now, our world needs to see the fruit of the Spirit and the followers of Christ. We can even discuss tough topics, but we can do it with grace and love. Again, look at this list. Joy. Oh, our world needs joy. Um, I've had to get off social media. People you know, ask me to make statements on things going on in the world and my social media and stuff. I, I, just, I opened it the other day and I was disappointed I opened it. Now, I know social media is very important in our world and I don't want to be some guy who buries my head in the sand, but can I just encourage you to be careful with letting social media be the only thing that feeds you? Um, because it can give you a warped view of the world. What was the name of that documentary that I, uh, Social, you're probably too young to remember this. It was like four or five years ago. It was on Netflix, Social, Social Dilemma. That thing tells you that they're just feeding your biases and making you angry so they can sell things. We need to feed on good things. We need the Spirit of God to shine in us. And as we walk with God, it is the Spirit of God who's going to be changing where there are pockets of hate, resentment, bitterness, into love. It is the Spirit of God who's going to take that impatience and where you just aren't willing to put up with something or someone at work. It's the Spirit of God who's going to give you the forbearance and the patience. It's the Spirit of God when someone has wronged you. It's going to help you to be kind to them because Jesus was kind to you. It's the Spirit of God who in a world that's feel, filled with evil and hatred and division and strife, and it's even crept into the church and the attitudes, especially in my generation, I think, and above at times, that it's the Spirit of God who's going to teach you what it looks like to demonstrate goodness. It's the Spirit of God in a world where people's word is no longer good. They're going to teach you what faithfulness looks like in relationships and friendships and in the church and in your, your career, your jobs, your, your education. It's the Spirit of God that when you're driven by your lusts or your greed or your pride or your arrogance, it's the Spirit of God's going to tamp that down and say, no, no, no. No, no, you need some self-control here. You can't do that. This isn't behavior modification we're talking about here. This isn't me trying to be a better person. This is not me getting a rubber band and snapping myself every time I think wrong. It's about the Holy Spirit as we feed on the Word of God, we hang out with God's people, we worship God, we let voices of Christian brothers and sisters speak into our lives, we look to God in prayer and fasting, and we, we, we're in this process and this journey. It's the Spirit of God who is the transformer of our lives. And look at these qualities. The fruit of the Spirit, they're the characteristics of Christ himself. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I like how he says, against such things there are no law. Because there are some laws against pride, greed, and lust in the scriptures. Some rules about that. 
things that will help us to be healthy. But these things are things of freedom and health and vitality. And if you want to flourish in this life and you want to spread God's kingdom as you go, it's these qualities that the Holy Spirit brings out in you as you walk with him. I want to take you to one other, one other uh, passage. It's in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 we do not be drunk on wine, which, is, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want to talk about the evidences. The evidence were controlled by the Holy Spirit. So how do you know if you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Because this, Ephesians 5, Paul says, be being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit. Now, some people think that word filled means an amount of him. Get more of him. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit than you got when you received Jesus as your Savior. You got all of the Holy Spirit his presence in you. This filled is not the idea of filled in that way. It's the idea of being filled in control, that he has control of you. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't let other things, substances, drugs, and alcohol control you. Instead, as a child of God, be filled with God, the Holy Spirit, in your life. Let him have control. And then he says, by the way, that be being filled, it's a, it's, the, it's a passive, so it's a command that says, be being filled. Well, how do you be being filled? Be being controlled by the Holy Spirit. How are you gonna be being controlled by the Holy Spirit? It's you yielding yourself and saying, God, I want you to move through me and in me today so that that love, joy, peace, forbearance, self-control, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, that peace that all comes out in me as you're controlling me Others will see that. May your Holy Spirit have control of my heart and mind today. Every morning as I close my own morning prayer with the Lord, I just say, may the Holy Spirit control my words, my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes today so that Jesus can be seen in me. So how do you know if you're controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, I said, you get, let's say this is me. <laughs> I'm very bright. Uh, this is me, this glove. This, my hand is the Holy Spirit. The moment I come to Jesus as my Savior and I'm given new life, that new life is the Spirit of God, the breath of God himself. The Holy Spirit brings new life. I have the Holy Spirit. In this journey, as I walk with God, I'm to allow the Holy Spirit to control me. If, if I'm just like this, I'm not fulfilling the purpose of this glove with the hand, right? This is a work glove. It's meant to do something. My hand's there, I have all the hand in it, but I have to let the hand move the glove. Now, what will be the evidence that the hand is moving the glove? The Holy Spirit is moving our lives. Notice verse 19 talks about we will have a joyful heart. One of the evidences that the Holy Spirit is in control of your life is you have a joyful heart, a joyful spirit. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. The, by the way, I drive my wife crazy because I'll get one song. Strangely, there's an old Barney song. This is the song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is a song that never ends. Do you get the point? It doesn't end. For some reason, now I'm going to go home and sing that. It's going to drive my wife crazy. I get that song in my mind every now and then. I'm not sure that's a song from the Spirit, as it says here. But the idea is that there is a basic joy you have in life because we don't have the same worries and fears as our neighbors and friends. Without Christ, we have the hope of all this. And so there's going to be a joyful heart. And so one of the ways you know you're controlled by the Holy Spirit is there is a basic joy that's growing in your life over time as you walk with God, as he's controlling you. Then we have a grateful heart. Verse 20, after he says, be being controlled by the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, a joyful heart. Then he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes giving thanks? No, it says always. Most times giving? No, always. That really stinks. That's really hard. And the only way we can always give thanks, be grateful for the good, bad, and ugly in our lives, is if we not only have the Holy Spirit in our lives, which we do if we know Christ, but we allow the Holy Spirit to actually control our lives. The evidence is we have a grateful heart. And then verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
there's, we have a humble heart, a humble heart. When we're being controlled by God the Holy Spirit as we walk with him in this journey, there's gonna be a basic joy that's growing in our lives. There's gonna be a basic gratitude for the good, bad, and the ugly that God's using to shape me and mold me and make me more like Jesus. There's gonna be a humility that comes with that. It's not me, it's God. It's God doing this. It's God doing this. The older I get, the longer I serve in ministry, the more I feel like, eh, they should just fade in the background because this is all God. There's a humility that comes and grows as we allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. It's interesting then, from then forward, he talks about how husbands and wives submit to one another. Then he talks about how children and parents submit to one another, how bosses and, and employees submit to one another. He gives practical examples of how we show humility in our everyday relationships. But only, that is only possible in all those relationships he describes. It all goes back to being controlled by the Spirit of God. Being controlled by the Spirit of God. And can I just suggest each morning this next week, whether you know what you're saying or not, say to God, if you're a follower of Christ, just say, may the Holy Spirit have control of my thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions today. May the Spirit of God, Lord, may your Spirit, Holy Spirit, have control of my thoughts, my words, my attitudes, and my actions. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. And by the way, God the Holy Spirit unites us. I don't know very many of you in this room. I know some of you in this room. But if you know Jesus, our common bond, we have the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us. We are united in him. And we ought to be concerned for one another, even in this journey, that we encourage each other in this journey of becoming like Jesus as we yield, give control to the Holy Spirit. Just ask him every day this week, Holy Spirit, today, take control of my thoughts, my words, my attitude, my actions. Watch what God does to transform your life. Maybe you didn't know much about the Holy Spirit before, but he is intricately and importantly involved in your walk with Jesus. Yield to him each day this week. Father, thank you for the beauty of who you are. You are an infinite God and we cannot even begin to reduce you to some quantifiable form, but yet we can experience you in a deep and transformative way because your Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit works in us. Thank you, Father, for the Spirit. Thank you for the Son. Thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. Today, we yield ourselves collectively to you. Our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our actions. We give them to your control. May you, Holy Spirit, have control of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.